when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. G'day, this is Barry Dubois. You know, I've been a sustainability advocate for about 20 years now, and that has really intensified since my children were born. Seeing what damage is being done to the environment and our planet, I'm concerned for them. I'm concerned what our world will look like when I'm not here anymore. Talking to friends and colleagues, it's become very evident to me that we all care. There's no doubt about that. We all care. But what's holding us back is that we really don't know what to do. And that really was the catalyst for this series. To break down what environmental sustainability is in a way that everyone can understand it and to give us some pointers that'll send us in the right direction. We have covered a lot of ground over the last five episodes and I hope you've learned a lot. Well, even a little, just from listening. I know I have and I've really enjoyed talking to the experts. So let's have a little recap. We've looked at the science, the psychology, the world around us. We've dropped into big business. And most recently, we looked at what we wear and where we live and sleep. To start our journey, Dr. Vanessa Ruin talked to us about what environmental sustainability is and explained a bit about carbon and carbon emissions. First up, I was shocked at exactly how bad our situation is and how rapidly our environment has changed in the last century or so. And what an incredible, not in a good way, impact we, the human race, are having on the planet. I was inspired by her view from a scientific perspective. I think everybody has a role to play in addressing climate change and it literally comes down to the little, the mini decisions you make in your everyday life of am I going to drive to work today, am I going to catch public transport, can I ride my bike to, to something instead of driving, there's decisions whether you're going to fly to up for a holiday or whether you could go somewhere more locally, the food you eat, whether you, we know that meat consumption adds a lot more carbon emissions to your, um, to your carbon footprint, so can you cut down on your meat consumption? There's so many aspects of, of our everyday lives that we can do to dramatically reduce. And another really, really important thing is, is where we put our money. So our, a lot of the banks still invest in fossil fuel companies, which if you can take your money out and put it in a fossil fuel free bank, that's again sends a very clear signal to banks and investors where we want our money going and what we want to support. Also our superannuation. So there's a lot of signals we can send which, which can have a, a dramatic effect on how we're going to tra- make this transition to a low-carbon economy in the future. Kim Borg, our behavioural scientist, spoke a little bit about the psychology of why we do the things we do. She told us that the brain will always take a shortcut if you let it. Well, we all know that shortcuts never send us in the right direction. 
This chat about how our brain takes shortcuts, it really it really got to me personally because I was conscious that things that I've learned to do as a shortcut were now going to be passed down to Ben and Arabella, my, my twins. And I don't want that to happen because it's then just a learnt behaviour. We accept that as normal. The mental shortcuts aren't necessarily a bad thing. And in fact, you can help use them to your advantage. One of the great shortcuts that we have is habits. So I've been very, um, very diligent lately about making sure that they know the right way to do it. And that's helped me overcome these little bad shortcuts that I've created in, in my 60 years of living. So I'm hoping this improves my legacy to them. It's teaching them the right way and not take shortcuts, even if they're just subconscious ones. I always love a chat with Robert Irwin and how lucky were we to have him representing Australian Zoo to talk about the effects of the environment on animals. It makes sense to me that someone who cares so much for wildlife is a part of a corporation leading the way to a more sustainable business plan. Any smart business-minded person will realise that a business plan that doesn't rest solidly on all the pillars of life will simply crumble eventually. So what we really did is we, we looked at what are we doing that is having the biggest footprint? What's having the biggest effect on the environment as a whole? What's contributing? What are we doing wrong and, and how can we lead by example here? And let's not forget, of course, the simple fact that koalas, crocodiles, bears and the like have all survived incredibly well for so long without us. It's really up to us to make sure we do the right thing by them so that they continue to exist for our great-great-great-great-grandchildren. We're trying to stay ahead of the curve, trying to do the best we can, not only dealing with animals that are directly affected by climate change like in the fires, but also learning how animals are adapting or maybe not adapting well to this change in climate that we've seen. My chat with IKEA's Australian CEO, Jan Gardberg, was really enlightening. IKEA has faith in achieving what some see as unachievable. And I was really taken by his view that just because we don't know how exactly we're going to do it, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't set a goal in the first place. I mean, at first glance, your average IKEA store just looks like a giant blue box. But if you look on the roof, they're actually going to great lengths to harness the rays of the sun and use that energy to power the lights inside the store. But as well as that, supply power to a microgrid, in some cases, around the local community next to the stores. That's incredible. And we talk a lot about these microgrids and how important that is. And I really see that IKEA as a corporation taking these things on is giving us sort of stepping stones to the future. It's clear that IKEA realises the necessity of valuing the environment with everything it does. Sustainability is really engraved into the company through our DNA. We are constantly being obsessed since the beginning with the waste and seeing waste as a sin and trying to always to utilise raw materials to its, uh, to its maximum. Kungsbacka is uh, it's one of our kitchens. So all of the fronts and the, you know, the drawers and so on is made out of pet bottles. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. 
You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. In this time of great uncertainty, Goodit Foundation Australia is here to support you. We offer specialist perinatal psychological counselling services for expectant and new parents across Australia who are experiencing perinatal depression and anxiety. We provide up to 10 sessions for free from the comfort of your home using either a video or telephone call. For more information, please visit gidgetfoundation.org.au. Last time we spoke about urban architecture and the built environment with architect Rob Pufflett. Now for me, it was fresh water and architecture that started the civilization that we understand now. We have developed incredibly with our urban designs, our built environment, and over the years we've done a lot wrong, there's no doubt about that, but those things have also advanced us as human beings. We've learned so much from the greats. Now, Rob believes that with good governance and regulation around urban development that we seem to have lost in the last couple of decades, we may be turning the corner sooner than we think. More green spaces, more sustainable elements being incorporated into the future designs is really going to change the direction again of the planet that we live in. Architecture is massively important in people's well-being. The built environment, the greening of spaces, the public domain, parks, gardens, landscapes and buildings are fundamental to how people feel in, in the city. Government now is well on board and very mature in its thinking, looking at stormwater management and greening green belts and green grids and connectivity of parklands and things like that. And that will take a little while to have an effect, but it's certainly very, very high on the agenda. Everyone realises that global warming and policy can really change that, and certainly in the commercial buildings and the bigger buildings I'm working on. Unless you have a sustainable agenda, it doesn't have a heartbeat. And what of the future? I wanted to get the millennial perspective, so I asked our hemp expert, Owen Barber-Woods, what things he does that have the biggest benefit to our planet. I have a veggie patch. I have a compost bin in my backyard that I put onto my veggie patch. I generally ride my bike most places. I don't even take public transport unless I need to. I have a keep cup. One of the main things, I try to buy basically everything as much as I can, not in plastic, although obviously that is extremely hard. Yeah, just try to not buy things that I don't believe I need. I mean, if I don't need them, I don't buy them. If I feel like I'm just wanting them for want's sake, some desire because other people have it, then I try to look at that and question myself before I just go out and buy the latest thing. According to Owen, the answer to maintaining environmental sustainability lies closer to home than you could probably realise. I think quickly the main things would be try and shop and consume as locally as possible. 
from your food to your clothes to everything else. Try and transition to organic kind of things, and that's not just your food, and that's a hard one because, of course, how much access you have to these things is involved. Whether it's an organic cotton shirt or a hemp shirt or an, a conventional one, I think we really need to gravitate towards the organics. Some of the more important things that we could work on in Australia, we could concentrate more on recycling what we already have instead of shipping it off overseas. Setting up some kind of natural compost and green waste system so we have a national natural cyclical fertilizing system that we can, you know, my banana peel that I don't eat goes into a bin that gets taken away, that gets processed professionally, then ends up on a farm that ends up growing my next banana, for example. Because a lot of food waste now, it just ends up in landfill and Landfill is a whole other thing that I don't think most people know about. Even if something is biodegradable, it will not biodegrade in landfill because of the way landfills are created. Basically, all of our rubbish is compacted so tightly down into these landfills. Obviously, we want to take up less space. That makes sense. But um, what that means is there's not much space for oxygen and therefore microbes and bacteria to grow. And these, are, these microbes and bacteria are what actually cause something to biodegrade. It literally just digests like a big stomach. And when those don't exist, it just sits there. And I've heard some amazing cases of people digging up 40, 50-year-old landfills and they're being still like half-eaten steaks, relatively undegraded, sitting in there. All of my contributors agree that we not only have to realise we're all in this together, but also that if we stick together and work together, we can make a better situation for all of us. One of the biggest challenges when it comes to climate change and global warming is that it is something that requires collective action. It's not just my individual behaviour, it's also the actions of businesses or governments. And in fact, in those cases, some of those actions will have much bigger repercussions and my behaviour will still be effective, but it's probably a smaller part of it. The other issue is that the effect of climate change or even the impacts on the environment feel very psychologically distant. So things like sea level rising, if I live in rural Victoria away from the ocean, I'm probably not really going to associate sea level rise with something that will impact me as a person, which makes it a bit harder to encourage individuals to take individual level action because it feels like someone else's problem. It is quite sad to see that that in my lifetime, this is going to be the time that our world is going to turn. You know, whether it's, it's for good or bad, it really hangs in the balance. It is going to be a very hard slog if we, if we do want to make positive change, but I think the first thing that we need to do is start a wider conversation and be willing to all come together, accept our differences, and really just realise that we're all, all one earth and all one people and we're all fighting this one battle. Education definitely begins at home, but also at school. The classroom is a great place to show humanity and kids what environmental sustainability is. After all, these are the ones who will be innovating for us into the future. What all this takes is good governance. It needs glue to hold all these great ideas together. The first person I reached out to when I decided to do this series was Matt Keane. 
He's the environmental minister for this country. I wanted to give the government an opportunity to address this matter publicly on this podcast. Unfortunately, uh, as hard as we tried, we weren't able to get Matt on to give the government's perspective. I do think that's part of the problem. Government is not doing enough to help us all come together to solve this problem. They can't do it on their own. We can't expect the government to do it on their own. We can't expect business to do it on their own. And you and me, mums and dads and kids, we can't do it on our own either. We all need to be in this together. I think the government needs a lot more advocates for the planet, for sustainability. And when we get that balance, I think that's the key to getting better governance and and going forward quicker. And I think personally, and this is just my view, government has to start legislating, creating laws, bills and legislations that give a better regard to not just environmental sustainability, but cultural sustainability and cohesiveness. If something we do affects something else in a negative way, it just doesn't work. We are a smart people and with good governance, we'll do amazing things. I really hope you've enjoyed this series. I've loved making it. I've learned a lot. I hope I simplified it for you. And uh, I hope you can share some of the messages that you've learned from this. In the blink of an eye, it'll be the end of our time. And if this is as good as we leave it for the next generation, I don't think we're doing a good enough job. Take it easy. I'm Barry Dubois, and this has been Hammer at Home. Thanks for listening. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. 2019 Hugh and Peter have broken down what is really happening underneath the spin and give everybody an inside look at just how things are being run. The Professor and the Hack quickly became part of the Australian political landscape. In episode 1, PVO made a comment that has become a big part of the show's lore. Peter made the prediction about the upcoming federal election. I think there is no way Scott Morrison can win it. 
and I'm happy to have that replayed time and time again to my shame if he does win it. People did replay it time and time again, including the subject of the prediction, Scott Morrison, who punctuated his midwinter ball address by playing the quote. A public insult from the leader of the country is a great way to find out that your politics podcast has made it. Speaking of Scott Morrison, here is a taste of The Professor and the Hack from early in 2020, when the guys are discussing the Prime Minister's response to the bushfire crisis. He didn't seem to get that a national emergency is a national emergency, which requires national leadership, national presence. Uh, He seemed to be uh, almost like some sort of traffic conductor sitting uh, at a busy intersection, waving his arms around and saying, oh, it's those guys over there, you know, responsible. These guys over there are responsible. Don't look at me, it's these guys over here responsible down this thing. There was no sense... Of uh, you know, I don't want to bag. I don't want to make this bag out Scott Morrison for the purpose of bagging out Scott Morrison. Uh, to be prime minister under any conditions is a difficult job. Uh, to do it at a time when there's a lot of moving parts and dreadful things taking place is a particularly difficult job. But I have never seen in over forty years as a reporter a prime minister's um, status and respect and credibility and authority leak away so Mm. completely and so quickly as Morrison, as he flailed about uh, on his return from Hawaii, you know, proceeding with fireworks shows with close friends at Kirribilli while people are dying in the fire fronts. It just seemed as if the guy, they talk about a tin ear, uh, he seemed utterly witless in the face of something in which people were losing their houses and dying. Can you give us an historical perspective or an example of anyone else who's handled it worse? No. Look, I mean, you're the one that's been the journalist a a lot longer than I have, but as an observer of politics, you know, during at least some of that time as well, I I, I can't think of an example where a leader has uh, performed as badly in the midst of a national crisis. And as you say, Hugh, this, this isn't about bagging Scott Morrison. And that's part of the problem when anyone who is in his inner sanctum hears our words, all they hear is, oh, here we go again, sections of the media or the commentariat bagging the Prime Minister. It's almost like it still hasn't gotten through the tin ears that exist. They think that this is about an attack on him. They don't understand that it's people making a very sad and disappointed reflection on him having fallen short of what you would expect of him. Now, the task for him going forward is to fix that. And I have to say, as critical as I've been and as critical as I know you've been as well, Hugh, of him and his performance, I want him to lift his performance both in this crisis and the next. Because Everyone needs is, him to lift his performance. He is our Prime Minister. That's right. He will be for years to come and, depending on the result of the next election, possibly many years to come. He will get the benefit of the doubt out of this, even if his polls do slightly slump, because he is there for a while to come. He is not going to suffer the fate that sections of the of his strong critics would hope that he's going to get removed or anything like that. That's absolute rubbish. So I want him to lift his game so that the reflection of him and others, including his supporters, is that, yes, this man was thrust into the job unexpectedly. Yes, this man won an election unexpectedly. Yes, he then failed in the role and duty of a national leader in a time of crisis. But guess what? 
when we reflect back on this in 6, 12, 18, 24 months or beyond, he has learned from that mistake and he's done it better the next time or times that have followed. And that would only be a good thing because it would set the kind of precedent we want for our national leadership. 